school moms are busy. Bright Ideas Press gets that. And that's why, for over 25 years, we have promised to publish Christian-oriented homeschool curriculum that will fit your family. Curriculum that is both affordable and easy to use with children of different ages and learning styles at the same time. Curriculum that busy moms love. Offering history, science, geography, and humanities curriculum and over 100 options of online classes and clubs for homeschool families, the team at Bright Ideas Press creates products and resources that will not only help simplify your life, but also inspire, encourage, and equip you to educate your children. Check out brightideaspress.com for more information. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Your host, Felice Gerwitz, is an author, a publisher, and your radio show host. She will encourage, educate, and inspire you with answers to your most pressing questions from homeschool, marriage, parenting, and much more. Felice loves to equip moms to live a Christian life because every moment counts. Be sure to visit her website at MediaAngels.com. And here's your host, Felice Gerwitz. Hey, everyone, and welcome. This is Felice Gerwitz with an episode of Vintage Homeschool Moms. And today I have a very special treat. We are going to be talking about homeschool essentials. And you can find this podcast um, with the show notes on VintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Look for episode 328. And today I have a special guest, and that is Tyler Hogan with Bright Ideas Press. And you can find out more information at BrightIdeasPress.com. Welcome, Tyler. Well, thanks, Felice. It's so good to be here. It really is. And um, you're one of my... um, in real life friends that I have met and um, your mom's a good friend of mine as well over the years. And it is so wonderful to have you on because you are a homeschool graduate and now you are um, at the helm of a publishing company that publishes homeschool curriculum. So what's it like being a graduate and now you are also a homeschool dad um, with a, a crew of little girls. Is that correct? Uh, four little girls, one little boy. <laughs> ah, I forgot yeah. about the little boy. <laughs> yeah, they, they well, congratulations. Sure. <laughs> Thank oh you. Oh my gosh. That uh, is it, so it's, wonderful. It's fun. It's definitely challenging, but it's a lot of fun. Um, my wife and I are, are both homeschool graduates and we actually uh, met each other through the homeschool world and Ah, it's just, it's been a delightful journey, really. Homeschooling was such a great thing for our family when I was growing up. I have, (laughs) I have no idea what would have happened to me or what things would have been like if I hadn't been homeschooled. I, I know I would not have done well in a public school environment. So homeschooling was definitely the best possible scenario for me. Uh, And now coming back and homeschooling my own kids, it, it feels just natural, normal, like this, this is just how it's done. Um, Helen and I joke sometimes, both of our parents 
you know, were first-generation homeschoolers, and, you know, they, they took some flack for their decision to homeschool us, because that was back in the days when, you know, homeschooling was right. this, this crazy fringe thing. Um, mm -hmm. And Helen and I talk about how, you know, if we ever decided to put our kids in public school, we would get just the same kind of flack, but in the opposite direction. But ho homeschooling is what we know. And it's, it just seems, I mean, I mean we, we have the, the deep rooting in the reasons why, you know, we're not just doing it because it's convenient or because it's familiar. Um, we're doing it because we believe it's right and it's the best thing for our kids. But it does have that, that extra layer of, this is how our parents taught us. And, and we know how to do this. And, and we have the confidence that we can do this too, which is something that I don't think many people in my parents' generation necessarily had off the bat. You know, there's a lot more right. anxiety and, you know, oh no, how, mm -hmm. how is this going to turn out? This is a big experiment. Whereas right. for Helen and I, it feels more like, well, this is, this is the normal way things are done. <laughs> we talk sometimes about, you know, if, if we ever did put our kids in, in public or even private schools, I don't, neither of us know how to be public school parents, like the <laughs> interacting with, with teachers or administrators or, you know, dealing with buses and all that. That's just so foreign to us. <laughs> I think we would just right. drive everyone crazy. That's so funny. Yeah. Cause I was right there with your, your mom, um, about the same time and maybe a little bit because I have kids that are a little bit older and um, and so yeah we never went out during the day because you didn't want to get all the questions so you waited till oh close to time school let out but um, on, on the cuff of what you're saying my daughter is this is number four child the history major and she's laughing hysterically going I'm going to probably you know teach in a high school. I didn't go to a high school because um, my kids were all homeschooled. And she goes, you know, it, it's going to be really interesting because I kind of missed all of that. And uh, so she's kind of leaning toward more of a, of a private school. But, um, but I, you know, she's like, I, I'm going to have to learn how to, how to be a teacher when I wasn't a student in a classroom, you know, because college is different mm -hmm. than high school. Oh, yeah, very much so. You know, at least from what <laughs> I hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Same with her from what she heard. Oh, my God. A, a lot of my and friends at church are public school teachers. And I, I love teaching. It's one of my favorite things to do. But I, I would not do well in a public school teaching environment. Uh, I know yeah, I would do a public school learning environment. But I just I don't have yeah. the patience for the kind of, uh, of bureaucracy and regulation and restriction that they have to deal with. So I mean, hats off yeah. to them for, for going and being missionaries there, but oh boy, I don't, I don't think I have that kind of fortitude. Yeah, I think, I think it's grace, you know, that God gives you the grace to do it, because I did love the short stint of my teaching, which was more in middle school, and I always say it was because I was such a smart aleck as a child, it takes <laughs> one to know one, so I was like one step ahead of them, and they would be like, hey, how did you know that? Oh, because I've done that, you know, I kind of had these, but, uh, but I'm excited to talk to you about some of what I'm going to call the homeschool essentials, because these are our books um, that would make any um, homeschool library complete, I believe, and especially um, you've got a, a new book that just came out 
Um, but one um, that I'm very familiar with, and that's North Star Geography, because um, um, it's a fabulous, fabulous book. And, oh, um, you. you know, it is. And it's so funny because um, I was talking to your editor, Mary Jo Tate, who's another friend of mine. And um, she was so excited about this book when she was editing, and I was hearing about that. So I couldn't <laughs> wait to get my hands it. on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah she's, a, she's edited for me, too. She's fabulous. So North Star Geography is a, a really unique book. And let's talk about, um, you know, some things that parents would find in that and how that could be taught, you know, grade-wise and, and so forth. So the way it's broken down, it's got three major units. The first unit is on geography skills. So that's everything that you need to know about reading, using, and making maps, atlases, geography tools, like how to navigate with a compass, uh, learning about GPS, and that sort of thing. So that, that's unit one. Unit two is on physical geography. So this is where it get in, gets into your earth sciences. And we talk about the, uh, the four spheres of the earth. So you have the, the hydrosphere, the lithosphere, the atmosphere, and the biosphere. And we talk about what, what those mean and uh, get into detail about some of the cycles and just really how the physical earth works and why it works the way it does. And then the last unit is on human geography. So that's where we get into uh, culture, religion, politics, language, ethnicity, heritage, and just learn about how people interact with their environment and each other and how uh, place and region are influenced by people and, and how that changes over time. And really, one of the main reasons why I wanted to write this book in the first place was because when I was going to go and teach a co-op class in geography, um, there wasn't anything out there that I could find that addressed all three of these. Now, I, I found mm -hmm. some, some good materials that had information on you know, cultural studies or, or some regional studies or political geography and a couple on map skills, but there was nothing that brought it all together and tied it together in, in a cohesive kind of way. So that's really what my goal was, was to give students a, a well-rounded view of what geography is, because it, it's really a very broad topic, and then mm -hmm. give them the tools to explore it and to discover and, <laughs> and to enjoy it. Right. And I love it because um, of, the, of the way you presented it. And it's more than just, you know, here's a workbook and, you know, look at this map and fill in these questions. Um, right. You really have brought this whole cohesiveness to, you know, what geography is. And I do agree it's so important because, um, you know, right now we are so dependent upon our phones. In fact, my <laughs> husband and I were navigating a really tricky place, um, you know, up it was here in Florida, but in the Tampa area. And there's always a lot of construction going on in Florida. And we were talking about how difficult it would be if we had to go back to using maps because we're so <laughs> spoiled. So um, I do think that, that this is something, you know, parents may say, well, we don't need to cover this because kids are going to be using their smartphones. But this is so important 
um, because, you know, they really, like, just today I was talking to my child who, um, you know, went into college at 18 as a junior, and we, we were listening to the news, and they mentioned Kuwait, and he goes, where exactly is that? And I just like, I just looked at him and he goes, engineering major mom, (laughs) (laughs) like that's going to excuse you, but okay. Yeah, Um, I mean, geographic literacy is just, it's one of those skills that has just kind of gone the way of a dinosaur for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. It's not a well-taught subject. And I remember I had a, a cell phone. This was a few years back. Um, and my cell phone was broken, so I was calling from another line to, to try and get a hold of my phone company and figure out where can I go to get my cell phone repaired. And I, I told the customer service rep, uh, the company of which will remain nameless, I told the rep, all right, I'm in Delaware. Where's the nearest store that can handle this repair? It's something simple like a screen crack or something right. like that. And mm-hmm. I, I could hear you know, the gears turning and after a minute, he said, well, I, I have a store that's just south of Boston. I, is that n- nearby? <laughs> like, well, uh, that's a good, you know, six to eight hour drive away. I was, I was hoping for somewhere a little bit closer. And you know, he, he went back to his keyboard and you could hear him typing furiously trying to figure out where Aww. Delaware was. And he said, well, I've, I've got another location in Connecticut. Is that any better? I said, oh my gosh. Well, it, it's better, but I was hoping to find something in my own state. And you could just so hear the silence on the other end. And after many said, so, so you're saying Delaware is a state? It's like, oh my gosh. Yes, yes, it is. And then he said, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just terrible at geometry. Oh God. Well, it's like I wrote an astronomy book one time and people were like, well, how could you write a book on astrology? And I was like, astronomy, <laughs> not astrology. So I think it just, you know, it just happens. And then once I clued my son in, he was like, oh yeah, I knew that, but you know, good save. But no, it it is really important. So this is an essential. I really think uh, those of you listening should check the book out. It's called North Star Geography. And you can find it at Bright Ideas Press. Um, also, you have something, and you're going to laugh because I was um, rearranging some of my stuff in my schoolroom. I'm a homeschool graduated mom, and um, I found my Wonder Maps, which I am now going to gift <laughs> to my daughter. <laughs> so tell Aww. us about Wonder Maps. And I, I, I got it um, when it first came out, so I'm excited about that. She's going to be thrilled. So Wonder Maps is. Uh, a software collection of customizable maps. So there's oh, probably three or 400 different maps that are in there. And there's maps of all over the world, all 50 states, U.S. regions, and a huge library of historical maps. So it's, they're actually laid out on a timeline. So you just look and see the time period that you're looking for, and it'll tell you all the maps that, fit within that time period. So if you're looking for ancient civilizations, you can find all the maps of ancient Egypt and Greece and Rome and Mesopotamia and the Babylonian Empire, and and you can get real granular. And then once you find the map that you want, each map is customizable. So you just, you can turn different layers on and off. So if you see 
uh, a map that's a nice big reference map, say, of the United States, and you say, well, I want to use this as a test for my students and have them label the capitals of each state, you can go in there and turn off the labels so that the state names are there, but the capital names are not. So they can go in and, and give it to them as a test. So you can make it uh, political maps, topographical maps, reference maps, outline maps, all kinds of different fun thematic maps, basically whatever you need. And it's just all right there at your fingertips. Now I remember making copies of maps and doing that, but with the name of the state. So I'd Sharpie over them and the kids could still see it. So I ended up, you know, yep, so this, where this were you? All, <laughs> right. I'm still working on it. Yep. This yeah, right? takes that, that whole messy business out of right, the picture. It's wonderful. And then yeah, with, the, with all the historical fabulous. maps, you can make your own annotations on there too. So if there's additional detail that you want to add, uh, you just use the, uh, the commenting feature and you can draw and put arrows in and type in all kinds of stuff, whatever you want, and then save it. And it's there for you next right. time you want to reference that map. That's wonderful. The thing that I like most about it is that because geography is such a broad subject, you know, it, it's the study of the world and everything in it, and everything happens somewhere. So it doesn't need to be used just for geographic studies. It's useful for history. It's useful for literature studies or science or math. Like there's anything that you might be studying, there's a map for that. And that, that was one of the things that my mom always did with us as we were growing up is every time we had a book out, we had an atlas out too. Not literally, but there was a lot of mapping that just helped reinforce all those geographic connections and help us develop a strong sense of, of place, of spatial relationships. And it, it makes the history make so much more sense when you can see, oh, so here's the Battle of Thermopylae and King Xerxes is trying to invade Greece. And if you're looking at a topographical map and you can see the mountainous areas that he's trying to get his army through and why this one tiny little pass is the only viable option for him to perform a sneak attack down into the Peloponnesian Peninsula, well, a map just makes that make so much more sense than me trying to describe it to you. Once you see it, it makes sense and, and it sticks with you, especially if you're a visual learner. Right. And as you were talking, it reminded me of um, a card game that you created. And um, it was the government card game. What was the Civitas. name of that again? Civitas. Civitas. Yes. And I think I bought three of them because they came out because I gave them as gifts. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it was so great because for me, um, Games were always reinforcements, and you know, I, I think um, I can't remember what you. Okay, so what age range are they for? Because I, I have a testimony to my. So North Star Geography. Brilliant. North Star Geography yes. is junior high and high school, so seventh okay. grade and up. It'll be great. Um, don't try and do everything that's in the in the activities section. There's way more in there than any one family should try and accomplish. Um, we always like to give lots of options and then right. the parent pick and choose the things that are going to work best for you. So 
seventh grade and up for North Star. Wonder Maps, you can use that for any age. I mean, my, my kids are on the young side, but we use Wonder Maps, you know, for their history and their science. And it's just great to have that extra visual. So whether that's, you know, your, your kindergartner and you're doing five in a row or something like that with them, or your high schooler who needs to have strong geographic connections made in their history and social studies, Wonder Maps is, is useful. So that's one of the kinds of things that you buy once and then you'll use it for every year you're homeschooling. Yeah, it's a great, a great um, value for your money. Absolutely. And then Civitas, that, that's, a, that's a pretty new title. Um, that I would say is best for probably ages 10 and up. Um, mm-hmm. If your student is able to play Uno <laughs> by themselves and, and understand how to keep up with that game, they can probably play Civitas. The, the rules and mechanics are not difficult to grasp. Um, what makes it of educational value is the discussions and the explanations of what the different cards mean. So it's about government and world government forms, and you're playing very quickly moving through different forms of government, like monarchy, democracy, republic, theocracy, military dictatorship, communism, and you get just a little bit of a feel for what those governments are like based off of the cards that you can play when the different governments are active. So the idea behind the game is use lots of terms, introduce lots of concepts in a fun, easy to grasp kind of way that then prompts discussions. And we actually include, if you, if you go to the website, we have a lesson plan that you can download that has a glossary of every term used in the game. So if there's something that pops up, like Banana Republic, if someone plays the Banana Republic event card, well, you know, maybe you're not super confident about how you would explain what a Banana Republic is to your 10-year-old, but that's what the glossary is for. It'll give you some historical context, It'll give you examples, real world, uh, modern day and historical if applicable, and just equip you to have those kinds of conversations so that as they're listening to the news or seeing uh, what's going on in, in their textbooks, and they'll be able to have a better understanding because of those talks, because of that card game that you played with them. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, okay, and then you also have a book that I'm very interested in um, that just came out called, called uh, Demystifying Learning Styles. Yes. And let's talk about that because I know that there's a lot of people that talk about learning styles, and I remember giving workshops on this back in the day with poster boards, and, and I'd look at these different um, areas, and, you know, it's even when you're doing personality tests, Tyler, I'm so horrible at these because I'm like, well, I'm a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And <laughs> really, that's what we are. We are a mixture. You're not going to be an A, B, C, D or, you know, or exactly, you know, you can be leaning toward more maybe than another. So I know that learning styles for me were very important because my learning style, something I would gravitate more toward, like just give me a book and let me read it. Well, I had kids who wanted nothing to do with books and wanted me to explain it to them or others who needed to experience. You know, I remember um, standing at a marker board 
and drawing out a, a very intricate um, cell, like a single cell, and having the kids, you know, copy it down and label it and color it. And then I had my kids close up their books, and I said, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. Well, one of my sons, who is so not a visual learner, um, told me I hadn't taught that part to him when I asked a question. <laughs> I'm like, uh, open up your book, and we'll see if you can find where you just drew and colored in the nucleus, you know. And, um, and so I realized at that point that, you know, for this child in particular, there had to be more interaction when instead of just saying, here's a picture, copy it and color it, whereas the other two could tell me everything about it. So there is some importance in it, but I know that there's a lot of myths surrounding it. So, so share with us um, about the book, and then you're going to share some more segments of that book. Sure. Yeah, so learning style, I mean, like you were saying, it, it's messy. You know, when you, when you take a test and you don't find a nice, clear, oh, this is the label that I can attach to myself, it's almost mm -hmm. always like that when you're talking about learning styles. There's no one best way to teach not just all students, but any student, because the thing that you try today with Sally might not work in three months from now, because right. it seems like they're always changing, too. Um, and it doesn't help that the, the scientific literature on learning styles is very confusing and divided and contradictory. Like there, there's not a scientific consensus about much of these concepts. There's several great theories and frameworks that are, are helpful, but there's not a, you know, th this isn't like physics where it's pretty easy to establish, all right, this is, this is how gravity works, this is the law, right. you know, memorize this formula and it's applicable across the board. Gravity was probably a bad example, but don't, don't shoot me on that one. Well, I, I understand <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. So, so <laughs> like, it, like a law, see, like a thermodynamics, a second law yes, of exactly. or something yeah. like that, a scientific the, law, right? There's no formula for, for learning styles. Um, but what there are, are some really helpful useful, practical principles. Um, one of the things that really surprised me as I started studying these um, and, and looking at the myths and the popular conceptions as opposed to you know, what the scientific literature does have to say, um, a lot of people think about their modality, you know, whether you're auditory or visual or kinesthetic or read-write, um, and they they associate that with, okay, if I just teach to my students modality, they will do better on tests, they will achieve more, and they will get it better than if I teach using a, a modality that they don't care for, right? So that, that's, the, that's the common understanding of how these learning styles work. But the truth is, <laughs> and, and this is what really took me by surprise, Modality means motivation, not achievement. So if you teach to your student's preferred modality, what you're doing is basically making it easier for them to feel excited about a topic. So whether that's I've got a, an auditory kid who wants to talk things through with me or a visual learner who wants to, you know, color that cell and 
and see it up on the whiteboard, that's great. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But it's not necessarily going to mean that they do better on the test. It means that they're more likely to pay attention and to engage with the material. Now, that might lead to better achievement, but there's really no studies that indicate a solid link between matching their modalities to better achievement. The, the research just doesn't support that. And in fact, what it does support is there are many times when using your students' non-preferred modalities is going to be better for them in the long run. Because the way our brains are structured to learn, we learn when things are hard more than when things are easy, right? So hmm. think about the life lessons that you've learned, the things that are most important and valuable to them, and how many of those life lessons came about because of some kind of adversity, some kind of crisis of faith or, or family drama or a friendship that went sour. And there's things that you learn when things are difficult. And then when things are easy, our brains kind of go on autopilot. So sometimes what we need to do is challenge our students by making it a little bit harder for them, giving them material in their non-preferred modalities so that they can spend more brain power working through the material, and that's how they'll learn it better. So That's interesting. I've never heard it? that before. So. Yeah, yeah so that's the, really fascinating. My rule of thumb here is you want to, to we call it mapping, when you, when you match their preferred modality to your instructional style. So you want to use that tool to match their favorite modalities in subjects where they're already demotivated. So if, if I have, say, a daughter who hates math, and every time we sit down for math class, it's a struggle for her, and she's got, I mean, everybody knows what it's like to hate a subject. Um, mm -hmm. If I go and I use her least favorite modality in that situation, all I'm doing is making it even harder for her to learn anything. But if I use her favorite modality, then the chances of her engaging with it are going to be much, much higher. And she'll probably be able to achieve better in that class, better results in that class, because there's one less roadblock or one fewer roadblock in her way. But at the same time, if there's another subject that she is great at, that she loves, and that she's already highly motivated in, then that's when I'll want to use a less preferred modality. And that, that technique is called flexing. <laughs> when, when you force your students to flex their mental muscles and make them learn something in a way that might even slow them down a little bit, but will help them learn deeper and retain more instead of just flying through the material because it's so easy for them. Oh, that's really fascinating. Very, very interesting. And so this book deals with, um, I know you, you were talking about some of the um, different theories behind learning styles, as well as um, what you were just hitting on right now. Is that correct? Yeah. The motivation so this, and modalities. Uh -huh. Yeah. So the, the three modalities, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or if you go with the, uh, with the VARC 
theory that adds um, read-write in there. So visual, auditory, read-write, and kinesthetic. That's one theory, one framework of learning styles. And there's so many other different factors. Uh, we talk about just a, a little bit about cognitive science and how memories are formed in the beginning of the book. And then we talk about um, environmental preferences. We talk about uh, multitasking. <laughs> we talk about Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, which that's another pretty complicated subject. And people often get multiple intelligences confused or conflated with modalities. So, you know, if you're, if you're strong in your uh, linguistic or in your visual intelligence, is that the same thing as being a, a visual learner or a read-write learner? And, and it's not, but the terms are often so similar, it can be easy to get them mixed up. So we, we spend some time um, explaining each theory and how it works and what the most practical applications are for a homeschool family. So this is important for parents who want to be the most effective because, you know, my background is education and, you know, I had a lot of theory types of classes and, um, and that sort of thing. And of course, how much of it do I remember? And then I used to always say <laughs> to parents who were not educators that they had it easier because a lot of what we tried to do as, edu as an educator, and I would talk to other friends of mine who were teachers, and we tried to recreate the, the classroom in the home, which was a recipe for failure um, <laughs> in, in so many different ways, yeah. especially when I had two children that would rather be outside, you know, catching critters and labeling them um, and that sort of thing, uh, rather than, you know, sitting at a desk with their feet, you know, primly underneath and uh, a book. I remember one time I completely lost it with my son who was laying on his back and had his feet up on his chair. And I said, you're not listening. And he said, go ahead, mom, ask me any questions. And <laughs> so I started drilling him. And of course, Tyler, he answered everyone perfectly. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, completely, you know, blew my theory there. But, um, but I, I think it does help to some extent to have an understanding of, you know, yourself. And a, t a lot of times when parents, uh, you know, struggle, um, it's because a child is having difficulty. You know, if, you're, if your child picks it up and they're, you know, I've had one of every flavor with all of my kids. You know, I have one that basically taught himself to read. I had another one who didn't read till they were 12, but yet graduated from college in three years, magnum cum laude. Uh, so I've had every stereotypical, wow. you know, yeah. <laughs> that could possibly happen. Yeah, uh, you know, but uh, so a lot of what my preconceived ideas were, I had to, you know, I was constantly changing. Let's put it this way. I, there was never a dull moment in this household. But mm -hmm. um, I would go to things like this, especially when we were struggling. Um, or I had a child who, like you were saying, you know, completely hated a subject and how could we, um, you know, get through it. And I would say things to the kids, as, you know, it was a little saying, like the mom sayings. 
And uh, I was actually laughing at my youngest because he's got a lot of little sayings. And he goes, Mom, I got it, honestly. But he has these little <laughs> things that he says now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, one of the things I would always say to the kids is if it's hard, that means you don't know it yet. If it's easy, that means you already know it. You know, so I would just start with if it's hard and then they would finish the sentence. So, you know, at, at some point, you know, your kids are going to realize, gosh, if I keep complaining, it's not really going to help me out. I mean, that was like always the goal I I wanted. I felt like a child number two um, had a should have had a career in law because she was always so um, articulate in her discussions of why I should not assign a specific paper. <laughs> or, of course, <laughs> I finally ended up that one we contracted for grades. Um, I don't know if you'll ever get to that point with your children, but um, I, I had a, the five children. I only had to do that with two. And that was, those were the ones who would, couldn't see the reason why they had to do X amount of papers or things like that. So I'd say, well, if you want an A, this is what you have to do with B or C. Well, why are you even putting a C down, mom? That's not even, you know, that's a no, a no starter. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. But, um, but no, I think that this book, you know, do you think that would really be helpful to parents, especially if they have kids who are struggling or if they're thinking that they're not as effective as they can be as, as home educators? Oh, absolutely. And, and I mean, honestly, even if, things are going well. None of us are being as effective as we possibly can be. There's always room for improvement. So mm -hmm. whether, whether you're feeling like you're struggling or not, there's always room to grow. And just understanding more about you know, how memory works, how to help your kids concentrate, how to help your kids be motivated, how to help them uh, grow and understand uh, their own intelligence and have a growth mindset, and learning how to how to look for and select curriculum and make you know sort of the the big picture educational planning choices that you need all of that is in this book and i think it's valuable for any educator any parent i mean even if you're not homeschooling i think it's super valuable because there's always people in your life that you're going to be teaching something um, right so, right this is yeah. definitely one of those books that should be in the library i think it's a fabulous title just for anyone who wants to know more about learning. And the nice thing is there's so much, as confusing as the topic can be, there's still so much good solid information and stuff that, that we have a pretty solid understanding of. Um, mm -hmm. But there's not many materials that make it real easy to apply. And that was really my goal was I want to have a, a down and dirty hands-on manual so that I could reference it for myself and, and be able to evaluate a problem and find a solution as quickly as possible. So that, that was kind of my goal was just, you know, help equip people to diagnose right. learning problems. And I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, s severe learning disabilities or anything like that. That's, that's outside of the ballpark of this book. Um, but our, our everyday, I mean, we have learning struggles with our kids every day and whether right. that's just, I'm not motivated or the kid won't sit still, or, you know, we talked about this 15 times. And when I ask them the question, it's like, they've never heard of it. I mean, that's common stuff, absolutely normal, but there are ways to handle that and ways to really maximize your teaching time with your kids. 
Wonderful. So I definitely think this is another one of those homeschool essentials. Well, Tyler, we are out of time, but I have so enjoyed this. And I want you to, you know, just share if you have any last words, you know, something that has helped your family. Um, and definitely for those listening, um, I'll have a bunch of links directly to the books that we just talked about today um, on the show notes. And uh, the website is Bright Ideas Press, but I'll have links directly to um, these products that we talked about today. So Tyler, any last words? Yeah, I think what some of the best advice that I get on a regular basis from my mother, um, who is so very helpful in our homeschooling process, um, is just to to chill out a little bit, <laughs> to calm down, <laughs> to to recognize it's going to be okay, to to reevaluate. You know, if if you're trying a book or a piece of curriculum and it's not working for you it's okay to stop in the middle of the year and try something different. Like one of the lovely things about homeschooling is that we have so much freedom to do what's in the best interest of our kids. And we don't have to be tied to a lesson plan or a syllabus or a particular reading list or, or any of that. If that's not working, we can drop it and do something else and not feel a smidgen of guilt about it. So when things are challenging and they are going to be challenging routinely and we should expect that, but not to get flustered, not to, not to let it rock our boat or, or shake us as parents. Um, it's okay. It'll work out, you know, be, be calm, think through things, make some changes if you need to, but really trust God because he's got you, he's got your family, he's got your kids and do the best that you can do with the resources that you've been given and, and trust God with the results. Oh, I so agree because like I said, I, um, I dearly love your mom and her advice because she is, I could just see her saying that, but uh, <laughs> she's an amazing it, woman. <laughs> she is a dear friend of mine, but um, I'm so blessed to know her. Um, but, it, but it's so true because, um, the years go very quickly and a lot of things that we, you know, stressed about or, oh my gosh, you know, my children uh, will never learn to spell. And then, you know, you, you realize, oh my gosh, they did learn to spell after all, you know, and so um, you, you do have to reevaluate. And that was something I really, really struggled with at the beginning um, was, you know, creating getting the perfect curriculum together. And that's why I'm so happy to be able to have had this time to talk to you, Tyler, because you're coming from this, um, from different perspectives. You know, one, you went through the experience as a homeschooler and, uh, you know, two, you are now a homeschool dad and, um, you know, with Helen raising some amazing kiddos and, um, and also you have a hand in helping to create the next generation with these books that you've written and I really think that um, No Home School is uh, complete without uh, these three books, especially, uh, well, one of them is uh, uh, The Wonder Maps. I actually have the CD. Can people still buy that on CD? Or is yep, it, you can uh, get download? it on CD, or you can get it as okay. a download, Windows or Mac. But yeah, we, okay. I mean, we, we try really, really hard to publish things that we would want to use ourselves, because <laughs> it's right. so easy to get overwhelmed as we're homeschooling. So it, that's something that's really important to me is I, if I'm not 
planning on using it with my own kids or if I, at least if I wouldn't be willing or interested in using it with my own kids, I don't want to publish stuff like that. That's not really going to help anyone. Right. And, you know, we, we try and practice what we preach in terms of learning styles. You know, if you look through North Star Geography or the Mystery of History or any of our other books, one of our goals is to give you more options than you need and let you find the things that are going to work best for your family. If you know that you need to flex with a certain kid's modality, there will be something in there that'll let you do that. If you know you need to map to your kid's modality, there's enough variety and enough options to let you select and, and, you know, we trust you parents (laughs) to make good decisions. We just want to give you the options and make it easy for you so that you don't have to scrounge around and try and figure everything out from scratch, you know, but why, why reinvent the wheel? So we, we try really, really hard to make our materials right. as, as user-friendly and as useful and consistent as we possibly can. Yeah, and we just scratched the surface of what Bright Ideas is. I mean, there's so much here. Um, you now have online classes, illuminations. We don't even have time to get into that, um, talk about uh, doing it for you uh, kind of thing with, uh, curriculum planning uh, that was a you know a huge um, undertaking I know that you guys went through with that but it's a, a planning tool for you and just so much more so really do um, go to Bright Ideas Press and uh, let them know um, you know that you heard about them from uh, Vintage Homeschool Moms as well as checking out all that they have to offer uh, lots of fabulous stuff there. And, um, you know, Maggie and I laughed about, you know, we used each other's curriculum when we were homeschooling before we even knew each other. <laughs> and so she, I was like always in awe of her. And, uh, and uh, years later, I got to know it's one of the nice perks about being a homeschool author, too, is that eventually you got to meet some of the people whose books you used. And, and mm-hmm. uh, they were as awesome, uh, you know, in person and as they were in print. So uh, lots of great stuff, Tyler. I'm so happy for you and your family and your little boy that I somehow missed um, with all the girls uh, that, that you had there. Um, so they'll definitely keep you on your toes. So listen, God bless. Thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your heart with, with my audience. And, oh, my pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for having yeah. me. This is, this is delightful. All right. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye. You too. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Vintage Homeschool Mom Show. Visit Felice at MediaAngels.com and TheVintageHomeschoolMoms.com. Vintage Homeschool Moms is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.